Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Tales of the LGBTQ+. My name is Douglas Parsons. If you're not driving a vehicle at the moment, or if you are not using some type of dangerous equipment, I'd like you to just close your eyes for a moment and think about the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender icons that you know about. Have those names and faces come to your mind? I hope that within some of those names that came to your mind and those faces, they were not necessarily all male. When I did this myself, initially, eight out of 10 of those faces were male. And you start to think about the reasons why. Is that because I am a male cisgender person myself? Is it because when I came out into the community, I was surrounded by strong male father figures? Is it media? There's a lot of those things that have caused me to do some thinking. And I say this all right now because Tales of the LGBTQ plus is important for myself, but it's important for others as well because we elevate voices and make sure that you know the damn good work that people have done throughout the years. And that's not just talking about the men who've come before us and the people who are doing the work now. Today's guest is Liz Messiah. And Liz Messiah is, dare I say, an institution within <laughs> the Edmonton LGBTQ plus community. She's someone who has seen it all. She's someone who has been there. She's the one who's written policies. And I want all of you to know her because her voice, her name, her giving back to the community is just as important, if not more, than perhaps some of those names and faces that uh, came to your mind in that small little response that we were doing. So today's guest is Liz Messiah. We're going to talk about the first Pride in Edmonton, creating community, creating roles. We're not going to be able to fit everything into one episode. So Liz and I've talked, there's going to be a part two, there's going to be a part three, because you can't put all of this into a quick podcast, wrap it up in a bow and call it a day. These are our stories. These are your stories. And I know by listening to Liz's story today, you're going to go, that's it. That's what I need to know. And another name, another force who have helped develop our community. So today on Tales of the LGBTQ+, my very special guest, Liz Messiah. How's it going today? It's going pretty darn fine. It's uh, There's sunshine and there's none of that white stuff falling, so we're ahead of the game. Exactly. It's weird having a Halloween where we didn't actually have snow on the ground for once. I know. I know. I know. And Remembrance Day is coming and so often it's cold and nasty. So here's hoping. Exactly. Here's hoping it'll be nice. Yeah. 
Yeah. Hey, I know that's the little uh, thinking that I did at the beginning and asking people to close their eyes and bring some immediate names to their mind. I know you, I know that you've done this before and am I correct in my belief in my statement that the women of our 2S LGBTQIA community have been overlooked? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And um and it's almost the norm and has been for many years. And uh, I think of the many hours that many women have put into doing various kinds of community work and are rarely acknowledged or rarely uh, mentioned. And uh, it just makes me sad because so much of the work is done by women, but it's, it's seldom, seldom recognized. Um, is there a reason for that? Is it, is it, does it go back to the broader world where men are put on the pedestals and are placed at the forefront? Or is there something specific to our rainbow community that does this as well? I think it's both. I think it's clearly uh, misogyny where things that are done by men are, are seen as more important uh, or more special. Uh, women's sexuality is not regarded as important as as that of the male. And so I think that for gay men, when um, they reveal their, their non-heterosexual sexuality, it's a huge, it's a, it's a very, in some ways, I think it's a, it's a more dangerous risk. Um, because of the uh, the fear of of homosexuals that still is around, and women are often seen as oh well, you know those two girls who live down the road, or Great Aunt Mary who lived with that what was her a good friend of hers wasn't it? But they yeah. but they lived together and traveled together, and and when the older one died, you know Aunt Mary was just devastated. And so there's a lot of that invisibility, I think, that comes with with being uh, a female and being a, les a lesbian. And so, in many ways, we're not seen as 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 important. Um, hmm. And um, as I said to you when you would ask me about uh, providing a photograph, and I said, well, one of the things in any of the photos that I can think of providing they all include other people, male and female, simply because all of this work has to be done in a context with others. And there are those who just insist on not acknowledging that. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's a combination of, um, of, of misogyny and human beings are quite tribal. We don't like to talk about it very much, but uh, we are still very much governed by our need for physical safety. And anything that, you know, the science is telling us that that the first thing we look for in any situation is, are we safe or are we safe enough? And so when you've been excluded and shunned 
in the quote unquote ordinary world and you finally find a space where you belong to your tribe, um, sometimes those tribes can get really small and really tiny. And that's unfortunate, but I think it, it's, um, I think it's true. And uh, there's a story from years ago with uh, when the Michigan Women's Music Festival was on and, and uh, there's always been contention between uh, feminists and lesbians. And apparently it got to the point where people were dividing off into such small groups that there was a tent that had a sign on it said, redheaded lesbians with children only. And so I don't know if it's actually true, but it, it shows how, how the tribal instinct also produces a good deal of narrowness. And so sometimes we just want to be with our tribe. And if that's for gay men, they want to be with gay men. Sometimes I just want to be around a bunch of, of, uh, of lesbian women. And um, that's just the truth of it. But I do believe that there's not been much effort, not really been enough of an effort to, uh, to be as inclusive as, as I think it should be. Yeah, I can understand that in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it took me a while to become comfortable with myself. Yeah. Um, growing up and throughout my 20s, I was comfortable being around uh, women, especially yeah. women who are older than me. Uh, yeah. There was that shelter in place. And yeah. when I started coming into my own in my early 30s, I then gravitated towards males and being around in my community, my tribe, bears and otters and, yeah. and finding my place there. And then I got into this silo where I never expanded out of that. And mm -hmm. it's only been within the last couple of years and myself doing this podcast as well as my Pride Corner on White where, oh my gosh, Liz, there's lesbians out there. And uh -huh. there's other people that I have not communicated with in a long time. And I've always been an open person, but I'm shocked with myself with how narrow focused I did become. And mm -hmm. it's sad, but it's the way I became. So everything that you were saying there, I completely understand based on my own life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's something that you also sit here and I want to explore because this is something I don't know much about, but you mentioned that there was a divide or a disconnect between feminists and lesbians. And the early, early feminists, white heterosexual women who were working against uh, patriarchy and, and misogyny and, and, the notion that that women who loved women also were impacted by by culture was not a very popular one and uh there's lots and lots and lots that's been written on it it is there's been a divide there still is a divide um there have been various so-called waves of feminism there's been lots of conflict about i remember years ago um there was a, a magazine, a, a women's magazine here in town that the name of which just escaped me. 
and I wrote an art, I would write a column in it and I always wrote about stuff as a as a lesbian and I had lots of feedback about why are you always going on about that lesbian stuff and and trying to say well because my life experience and my day-to-day -day lived experience is different than the um that of the heterosexual woman so um it, it's just an example of we're you know women trying really hard to make our space in the world and then having another layer of difference um manifest in those of us who um are not uh intimate with with men so is there a definition that you can give you know obviously a definition for uh the word lesbian is someone who's interested in the same sex uh, same gender perhaps um feminine uh female in this is there a larger broader definition for the word lesbian that you have held throughout these years um i think for me it's been simply uh, a woman who is is intimately emotionally and sexually attracted primarily to women that um one of the one of the litmus tests years ago was um and i'll still remember it i think it's when the movie desert heart came out and jane rule was a friend of mine and and she'd come to edmonton to uh to speak and so she had written the book desert heart and it was it's you know it was released and it was a lesbian story and so a whole bunch of us male and female went to the opening night and what i remembered was that there was a a, a trailer an ad for some holiday place that you know it was an advertisement and so afterwards the men were all busy talking about the men in their bathing suits in this ad and the women the lesbians were busy talking about the women in their bathing suits and i remember turning to one guy and saying i didn't even notice them there were men and he said i didn't even notice the women and so that's to me um what it means is that that in a situation like that where there were you know gorgeous people up on the screen of of uh diverse appearances etc we we lesbians were watching the women and and the men were watching the men amen it's that's just how it is and so uh you know uh it's often funny when um I'll be out or well pre-COVID when you used to be out more, but uh, be out with a, with a bunch of, of uh, colleagues, uh, maybe all professionals. And I would find myself noticing some gorgeous woman in the restaurant. And finally they would realize Liz is, Liz is looking at that woman and we're looking at her too. Yep. And I'm sure you've had those experiences. Absolutely. Well. Yeah. Yeah. So Liz, when you came out of the womb, were you a fully formed activist, community organizer, or was this something that has developed with you over the years? 
Well, I break, I, I credit my great grandma, Kate Messiah. Um, she was long gone before I was born, but she's, she's, she was quite the legend in the family and often talked about. And my dad was very close to her. And Kate was the first female journalist in the House of Commons. Oh. Yeah. And Kate did, didn't brook nonsense from anybody. And it was only 10 or 15 years ago that I put it together that my granddad was named Wilfred. And that was after the close family friend, Wilfred Laurier. Hmm. So... And I've heard lots about Kate. I've got all of her old poems. I've got all of her, all of her um, writings, which are many. And so along with those stories, uh, which were always told in the family with great admiration, my dad in particular was very, very focused on bringing people are up in a way that uh, you just didn't discriminate. And I remember him talking about various incidents and through his own actions um, throughout my life, it was like people are just people and you're, you're, you need to be good and kind and, and fair to all of them all the time. And so somehow I never got that piece that says, x kind of people are bad or you should be mean to them and um he was a senior officer in the rcaf and i grew up with these men who around us who were very senior officers but to me they were just and i always treated them and and as my my friend's dad and so i never sort of got that piece that i was supposed to be uh, intimidated by positions of authority. And then you add the piece about Kate, who was more than happy to take on authority and win. Um, the the sto story I tell about Kate is that she lived in La Chute and uh, the railway was going to go through La Chute and they, uh, it was going to go through her backyard. And in the end, it didn't. And she wrote a brief and it was very well done. And she was told afterwards that they were astonished to find out it had been written by a woman. And so the railway went round Kate's house. So between that and, and growing up around authority but not being intimidated by it uh, has been a great help in, in my journey. Um, I had no clue uh, about myself really except there was a time i think i was going into grade 11. was either going into grade 11 yeah and miss hunt had been our gym teacher and this is so stereotypical but it's true <laughs> and over the summer miss hunt who was going to be our gym teacher the next year that following fall got engaged and all of we girls were clustered around and everybody was ooing and aahing and looking at her ring. And I said, and I said, I don't understand what all the fuss is about. It's a nice ring, but he's a man. <laughs> 
the silence was deafening and I didn't really realize what I'd said, but I got the message. It wasn't okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought, well, it's fine, but what's she doing with a man? Yeah. What's he going to bring to her life? She's yeah. already a teacher, a yeah. teacher, yeah. a woman of power. What does yeah. she need a man for? Yeah. They're, they're, Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> makes sense itself. Yeah. So Liz, did you take this opportunity then to be your authentic self? Or did you feel that you had to hide away for the time period until you perhaps understood yourself a little bit more? Oh, I hid. I uh, I did the right thing. I, I, I went off to university, got married, was married for to a man for 10 years. Um, had not really any clue. Um, I do remember, I mean, we did all the right stuff and except we weren't able to have kids, but I remember standing on the, the, the back porch of, of this wonderful old house that we were renovating and, and uh, thinking to myself, well, if this is love and this is, this is happiness forever, I'm not impressed. And, and it was, it was just, it was flat. I was working in, in the Waterloo area as a, as a welfare worker. And that was in the old days when we used to go visit people in their homes. And it turned out that there was quite a collection of gays and lesbians who all knew each other. And several of them ended up becoming my, my welfare clients in, in Cambridge, Ontario. And it turned out that um, there was the Robin's Nest, which was a gay bar in, uh, in Cambridge. So as I got to know these people and got and they started to trust me, when I found out it, you know, they were gay, it, like it didn't mean it. It was like so, so what? But they invited me and my then husband to come and for an evening to the bar. So I said sure, and Robert didn't quite know what to make of it. But I remember walking up the stairs uh to the dance floor and as i walked up those stairs there was a waltz on and a male couple waltzed by and then a female couple waltzed by and in my head it was that's how it's supposed to be yes and yes. then i thought uh oh i'm in trouble now yeah and so that was sort of the beginning of 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 my coming out process um again i was very surprised when lots of people said to me, oh, be careful. One of my best friends said to me, Liz, you know, like, be careful. People are going to think you're perverted. I went, why? Yeah, let yeah. them think that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I was very fortunate in that um, I sort of never got that that piece of of uh, being being gay was um awful it resonates so well because there is that moment where all yeah. of us within the community there's that pause where everything yeah. goes silent yeah. and there's no there's nothing in the air there's a little bit of electricity yeah. and you just know that yeah. life yeah. is not ever going to be the same again absolutely and i absolutely. i recognize that myself with my own experience where 
I know exactly when I knew the switch was happening. Yeah. 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 It just, and, and so life is never the same again. I remember um, the scene in the movie Bohemian Rhapsody in which he, in which he goes off to a, to a, a bar and there's that moment where he's entering the bar, the bar and it's a gay bar and that electricity is just there and they caught it so well and between you know and the next you know the rest is history for him but as we know but it was just it, yeah it's just a, a moment in time and everything changes yeah so let's and- talk about your history liz you know you've you've talked you've brought us to the point now where you are going to jump head first or feet first into this lesbian lifestyle perhaps so liz you've talked about being in ontario and um yourself now recognizing yourself as being part of this other community what brought you to alberta oh um i was in graduate school and uh studying getting my master's in social work and uh working working most of the working pretty well full-time at the same time it was in boom times here in alberta when but they started the government started to realize that yeah there was lots of money around but there was no uh there was nobody to look after um any of the social programs problems that we're having and so they decided <clears throat> to uh, create bursaries for uh, people in clinical social work uh, across the country. They just a ridiculous amount of money, large amount of money every term. And um, But then I had to come to Alberta to work it off. Hmm. And so I did. You know, as I was outside walking Sadie, you know, it, it just never occurred to me that just because i was a lesbian or just because somebody was a gay man that people should think there was something wrong with us it, i was i was i it just never occurred to me it never made sense and so i i was i guess you could call it incredibly naive but i think i was very fortunate because i just that peace just never took hold and so i remember being quite stunned when nasty things would be in the paper and i think well that's not right they shouldn't be saying that i'm a nice lady yeah and still at times it just it just boggles my mind the 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 way that people treat other people but but yeah so i so i was very active got very active in uh london ontario and then when i was doing a placement and then uh when i came out here that i just uh, continued because yeah. so when you came out to Alberta yeah. were you out at this time oh I th- I was out my marriage ended and uh, I think it would have ended even if I wasn't gay but but I think it helped him save face that I uh, you know I came out and, and and to everybody and said you know I'm a lesbian and 
so I need to get a divorce and be on my own and stuff. Um, and so, as I say, there's that that piece of astonishment that that I should be pretending and, and hiding it made no sense to me because I just felt so. And you know, that wonderful sense of energy, it's all of a sudden the pieces have come together yeah. and it makes the world make sense. Yeah. And somehow you're supposed to hide that. I thought, I don't think so. Yeah. This is, too exactly. good. this is too good to hide. I came to Alberta and, uh, to Camrose, Alberta. Oh my. Mm. I'm from Stetler originally, so I know the area. Yeah, I'm off uh, specifically. Yeah, and um, I worked in children's services there, and I had a great boss. And after about six months or four or five months, I just, I, you know, I'm just not a small town person, and it was mostly because I'd come, come from a certain amount of privacy in my life, I guess. And, and not not a hiding, just uh, not everybody knowing all my business stuff. And uh, I had moved out here with with uh, a woman named Kelly. And um, we had bought a camera and we took a, f and I went in to pick up the film once it was developed. And the, the guy said to me something about, oh, how does Kelly like her, her new, the new camera? And I thought, oh, Lord, you know, you can't even change your socks and the whole town knows about it. And uh, so I immediately began looking for work in, in Edmonton and, and it didn't take long before I was here. And uh, but when I was in Camrose, I had begun the process of connecting with uh, women's space in, in Edmonton. Before you actually uh, go further, yeah. Liz, uh, let's talk about woman's space. Um, what is woman's space and the purpose of uh, the organization at this time and as it moved forward? I don't think it really, I don't think women's space really exists anymore. Women's space was formed by some very wonderful women who wanted a place for, for women to socialize. So it was mostly socializing and, and then having monthly dances. And um, there's, some, there's been some interesting histories written around on, on the history of women's space. Um, and, and, uh, but it was mostly seen as social support and, uh, and dances. There were some ball games in the summertime, as I recall. But mostly what I recall was the, the primary focus was these... Uh, was a drop in and uh, and then the dance. Yeah. Yeah. And what was the uh, time frame? Which years are we talking about when you first started uh, being part of Women's Space? 83, 84. Okay. Yeah. So a significant year upon itself because if I were to go into what else was happening during that decade, the HIV AIDS crisis yeah, yeah. Uh, had uh, started. So you're now finding of space for women during this time when now I'm going to say this as a broad general when men are being decimated with the disease that doesn't take away the fact that many women were experiencing the health issues themselves uh, when it came to HIV and AIDS as well uh, yourself you're getting 
thrusted in many different directions, finding a safe space for yourself, but also a community at large that is in flux. I think that I would I would put that quite differently. I think that that the uh, the women's space events had been going on for a while. Um, can't remember when they actually started, but it was probably a few years before I, I came along. And there were many women who were involved in the care of the men with HIV. My former wife was um, a palliative care nurse, and she was one of the first nurses to be involved with uh, home care and uh, HIV and, and men with AIDS. And, um, and, you know, the community was being decimated, but it was a very hard time. Um, I remember... I remember that um, at one point in the in the ledge, one of the Tories stood up and wanted to pass a bill saying that people with HIV should be put in camps, and uh, that was seriously discussed. Um, and I remember. My, my good friend Randy, who was ill with HIV, and he called me the next night and he was so upset and, and so scared. And I remember standing in the kitchen and, and sort of leaning against the wall, sort of how old I am because the foot telephone was on the wall and, and talking to him and finally got him laughing because I said to him, now look, Randy, if they come for you, you know we won't let you go by yourself. So it will have, um, you know, the place. The place will be gorgeous because you fags will make it all pretty, <laughs> and and you know, and you guys will do the cooking. Although some of us women will help us with some of that stuff. And if any, and if there's any building or carpentry or electricity that needs to be done, we women will just look after all that. So we'll mm -hmm. be fine. Yeah, and to think that it's less just shy of 40 years yeah. that we had the talk that people with HIV should be sent to camps. That's less yeah. than 40 years. Led Zeppelin has one of their greatest episodes. That's 50 years this year. Yeah. And yet here we're talking about less than 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm sure you've interviewed others who have talked about, about the AIDS issues but they were very real um because i worked for social services in those days um the librarians would photocopy the the cover page or the index page of all the journals they got and they would put those together and and circulate them and if there's anything you were interested in you know, you could just indicate it and then they would make a photocopy and it arrive in your basket a couple of weeks later. And uh, it seems so primitive now. But um, I got called into my boss's office and said that my secretary was concerned because I was ordering too many articles on HIV and AIDS and she thought it was dangerous. Oh. Yeah. 
Uh, and here you are in a role to support others. Yeah. And this yeah. is what's taking place. Yeah. Boost by sometimes flagging energy. I think of some of those stories and there's the energy. We were also uh, invited, the, the New Democrats invited us into the house and wanted to introduce us. And we were up in the visitors gallery, a bunch of us. All of the Tories turned their backs on us. To a person. A Lockheed still premier at this time? Or is this now gone to Getty? I can't remember. But it's it's in that it's, it's in that yeah, yeah, it's in that time. Frame. Yeah. 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 And again, I remember, you know, I was I grew up in the Air Force, and so I know about etiquette. Yeah. And I was just stunned. I thought they're really rude. Yeah. <laughs> was my first thought. And they're supposed to be progressive conservatives. Yeah. And and this is just really rude. And, you know, somebody ought to talk to their mothers. And and I was, you know, and then I realized that, that we were being publicly shunned. Mm -hmm. And which pissed me off even more. Yeah. And then and then we have to sit and uh listen to people go, well, why as a community as a whole, do we not support conservatives yeah. today and or throughout yeah. our lifetime? And it's because yeah. of situations like this where there have been no real apologies or recognition. Oh, um, they don't care. Yeah, they, they don't, don't give a damn whatsoever. And a lot of these people are still in places of power. That's right. And uh, one of the ironies of the world is that uh, one of Ralph Klein's main publicity people is a lesbian. She's not, obviously he's gone. She's not doing that anymore. And she used to sit in cabinet and listen to that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And took it and took it. And took mm -hmm. it and took it and took it. Yeah. But, and she was, you know, she was a good, she was a good Tory. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the lots of contradictions. Yep, absolutely. And we have it today. Yep, um, hasn't changed. It hasn't changed a bit within the now known UCP. There's uh, some well known um, community members within that party who are trying to be on the inside enacting change and they just shit upon. Yeah. And, but yeah, yeah we're supposed yep. to support. Yep. Hey, Liz, I want to bring light to you, uh, especially with. HIV Edmonton and your involvement in building HIV Edmonton itself. So well, what, what can you talk about that when it comes to both the days and your involvement with? Well, in, in, in those days, um, Gala was very active. Gay and lesbian awareness uh, was very active and um Michael had fair had come back from the states where he was getting his master's degree and we all and got involved and then um the first case was discovered here and it was and all of this nonsense and hatred was boiling up and so Michael invited some of us to his house 
and we sat around and we decided that, well, we needed to get going on this and we needed to do something. So there were meetings and plannings and all of that good stuff. And uh, HIV was, or and, and the AIDS network was, was born. And um, it's an interesting story um, in that he, I was on, on the first board um, of the AIDS network, but I didn't continue. And it was primarily because um, of a different view, which I thought that our energy would be better spent doing education than um, being in a sort of traditional not-for-profit society. There was an expectation of Michael's that, uh, that it would be, it would form an, an organization and yes, there would be education, but the other thing that was going on at the time was that a lot of the energy from, from gala, um, had gone into the AIDS network, into the formation of that. So I decided that I needed to do to continue with the work of, of Gala and keep that going while these others did the AIDS network stuff. Mm -hmm. But uh, Michael tells that, that the reason it was called the network is because I insisted so much on networking and that that that, that was in recognition of that. Um, which which is a great great thing it's yeah. a lot of foresight that yeah. you had especially at that time when things are coming at everybody yeah just at a million miles per hour and recognizing that this network needs to be in yeah. place in this education piece because yeah. with education perhaps at one point you can get ahead of the issue rather than always reacting yeah 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 but um you know was i right was he right i think we're both right and yeah. that's all that matters um you did but, what needed to be done at yeah. that time yeah and and you know we haven't talked about gala much but we'll need to yes uh, let, and let's do that right now a, a driving force and um gala formed and i don't know i think i've sent you some of these names but I became involved with women's space and uh, very, they had a board and they really thought, um, and they had a public relations position on the board. Again, my, my naivete took over and I thought, well, that's something I can do. I can talk to the world about this organization. That's no problem. Well, the piece that I missed entirely is that it was a very closeted organization mm -hmm. and we had lots of lots of, of hard times around that issue. Um, but early on in, I think it was the, the winter of 84, and you really must talk to John Doyle mm -hmm. um, because he kicked a lot of this off. And he and some other guys helped, invited Women's Space to this meeting to talk about something for pride. And John was living, I, the house I think has been torn down, but it was, but I would often drive by this big old house uh, on the river and uh, we met. And again, 
you know, we thank God we didn't know what we were doing because we just went ahead and did it. And we got this this group together of of very there was me and there was Lorna Murray and um and John and Jeff and uh John and Jeff and Barry Bro. And uh, we started working on collecting people together for something for pride. And so um, there's lots of funny stories there. Um, but we decided that we'd have a pride week. And um, although we had enough ideas for a pride month, but, but, um, and so we did. And uh, we went around to various organizations and, and, and talked to people and, and, you know, convinced them, harassed them, whatever. And Pride Week came. Yeah. One of the funny stories is that um, we decided we needed a poster. So we designed a poster. And there's a guy who was publishing some stuff and printing stuff. Ray, think I think his name was. He had an office upstairs on 124th Street, just across from prime time uh, from uh, times 10. And so he offered to, to do that. Well, John went to get the draft of the poster and brought it back and it was full of mistakes. And so Lorna and I wouldn't allow it to be accepted. And John wasn't real keen on going back and, you know, being the bad guy. So poor, I think it's Ray Linguante was his name. Uh, poor Ray, he, he, he had Lorna and I arrive in his place shortly after 4.30 one night. And guess what? We got the posters reprinted for free and corrected. But he also gave us the old ones. And we chopped the top half of it and it had gala and our insignia on it. And... Um, I don't know if it was that year, maybe it was an, another year, but the nylon, we thought about inviting the nylons to come to town. Oh, the yeah. nylons wouldn't come to town unless we could guarantee that there were only gay people in the audience. So we couldn't figure out how to do that, but they came to the Jubilee anyhow. So a bunch of us got those, those brochures, those, and we, we went to the parking lot when the nylons concert was on and we put these things that said gay and lesbian awareness under people's on people's windshields <laughs> just to be bad i love it i love it hey and just a blast from the past i think the nylons did a remake of the uh go ahead and uh is it go ahead and kiss them goodbye that no 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 yeah yeah and so and then we were um, you know, and most of us were good little civil servants. And so there we were. And this woman who was a security guard and looked, you know, if you wrote, wrote the, the picture of the, the butch security guard, there she was. And she picked up one of the, bro one of the flyers and said, Oh my God, lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> so we scattered. The lesbians are coming. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Oh, so that's brilliant. <laughs> Um, yeah, so one of the things, though, that I that I, you know, I always push for 
is that if we can't have fun, it's not going to work. Exactly. And 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 if you know if we can't have fun and if we can't eat good food together, then forget it. Yeah. And uh, so that's one of the things that I always talk about is that whatever the the cause is, whatever the work is, if you're not laughing, you're not doing it right. Not that uh, you know we can't be serious and be angry and shed tears and and stamp our feet, but and 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 have big disagreements but i think i was talking to michael about this a while ago but one of the things that seems to have changed is that these days you can't if, if somebody disagrees with you they take it really personal and everybody's mad and angry and upset whereas michael and i had some real knockdown drag out differences but we still loved each other and and we knew that as he said yeah we knew that you know i was right and he was clearly wrong etc and vice versa but that we were we were working for something larger than our egos yeah yeah and you gave each other space to yeah. listen yeah. to each other and to recognize yeah. those differences because yeah. good lord and if we all came in with the same cultural lens or the same lens on every issue yeah. Then, yeah. yeah, but but you know nowadays you say boo and it's wrong or it's racist or it's something or other, and so I think that's one of the pieces that that if we could get back into our lives that ability to to have a conversation and disagree and still be respectful and caring, we'd be better off. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the first pride, and you know we're looking at early eighties. Yeah. Could you? Tell us how many people would have been attending events uh, that first year. Well, I don't have the record, but there would be a you know twenty or thirty or forty people maybe at each event. Mm -hmm. um, I, I came across the old calendar and uh, the, the the corrected uh, poster. But there was a dance, Women's Space and, I don't know, um, whatever the Pride Center was called then, we joined together and had it, and there was a dance. And that was very well attended uh, by with both men and women. Um, so there was that obvious need and wish and desire to have yeah, something yeah. to call our own and, and to feel that pride. Yeah, and we did a darn good job. Yeah. If yeah. I do say so myself. And so that summer, after after Pride, those of us who'd been involved in it decided that we should reward ourselves with a little picnic. So we went off to, I think it was Harlech Park, and we'd had our, our picnic, and we were sitting around. There were a couple of lovely moments. One was Barry Bro said that he was involved with the, the gay Catholics and he said, you know, they were trying to do some work because the province was opening up the uh, Individual Rights Protection Act for, you know, for, for revision and it would be a good time for us to try and get sexual orientation put in there. And so, as I say, for myself, not knowing any better, I said, we said, sure. And... And this 
was a lovely moment in which um, John and Jeff were early in their relationship. And I, I looked over and uh, I can't remember, but one of them was sitting down and the other one had his hair, head in his lap and was stroking his hair. Mm -hmm. So it was a moment of just pure, clean intimacy that, you know, it was just lovely. Yeah. So I said, well, since we seem to have done a pretty good job of working together, putting on this first pride thing, maybe we should take on the gala thing, the, the civil rights thing. And so off we went and we started that. If only you know, eh? Yeah. So are, so were you naturally a glutton for punishment? I or guess so. <laughs> I, guess. Well, I think it was just that, 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 well, okay, well, we should do that. And, and let's just go do that. And again, it was that naive sense that, well, we'll just go have some nice chats with the politicians and they'll agree with us and I'll, and it'll be good. Yeah. Of course, so they're wrong. Yeah. So for the people who may not have this backstory in understanding yeah. when it comes to human rights, where are um, lesbians, gay men, bisexual uh, people, transgender, where are we at at this uh, time frame when it comes to equality and rights? Now? At that time. Well, at that time, we didn't exist. Yeah. We, uh, um, there were no references in human rights legislation anywhere uh, to uh, protection under the grounds of sexual orientation. And so um, we had no protection. We could lose our jobs. We could... Uh, uh, people could refuse, you know, it, it's ironic. People could refuse to, uh, to rent to us or, um, our, if we were in, in couples, our spouses were, were, you know, we couldn't get married. Uh, we couldn't get, you know, joint life insurance, all of that stuff just wasn't there. And so it was quite radical when, when we popped up and said, here we are, we want in. And um, yeah, so again, this is less than 40 years uh, ago. Yeah. And so, so Liz, I'm going to just throw this out here knowing, and please know the levity of how I'm yeah. saying this. So obviously then to me, the first time that yourself and others spoke up about this, the politicians, as well as Alberta, Canada as a whole, they quickly listened to all of you and put everything into place. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's why we have boxes and boxes and boxes full of papers and meeting records. Um, no, they, uh, they didn't. One, but, you know, the big stories made up a bunch of funny little ones. And we'd been to see Les Young and he was the minister of, of labor. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we'd had this very nice meeting and, and everybody was nice and polite. And he made, and, and he said, until this is being talked about in the coffee shops and shops of the, of the, of the province, it's not going to go anywhere. So mm. that's fine. Half an hour later, I'm in, in, in Safeway getting milk on the way home. And right in front of me is Les Young getting milk on the way home in the same store. I just laughed. 
I just said less. Well, it's not a coffee shop, but it comes pretty close. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he just shook his head. Just yeah. like, oh my god. Yeah. But and, you know what he said there? There's a lot of truth to what he did yeah. say. You know, that yeah. when it goes back to Harvey Milk, and he's you know yeah. he was saying that you know come out. You know, yeah. by coming out, it starts those conversations. So. Yet here's this person who's blocking the way, but there's some truth and wisdom to what what he was saying. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and that's why um, I know uh, you know Murray often talks about coming out hinders discrimination, and discrimination hinders coming out. And and I've always pushed people uh, really hard to to come out. Um, you know, I'm a psychologist, and I've done lots and lots of work in my private practice with with our community and i always push people to come out because if you're not out and i mean you don't have to be out to the media but out clearly to everyone in your life um then then you're keeping a secret and and secret keeping is is always bad yeah and so uh yeah i i push people and push people and push people because otherwise it's just hanging in the air and you know oh everybody knows but nobody talks about it and uh that's 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 not enough that's not good enough i think about this uh this time frame because this is my formative growing up years where i'm still a child and growing up in botha alberta stetler alberta oh dear. <laughs> yeah, and I, I love the places, but uh, there, the queer representation happened on the <laughs> cover of People's Magazine when a celebrity had been outed or yeah. dying of HIV a week before they passed away, like a Rock yeah. Hudson, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that uh, type. And so growing up, we didn't see people like yourself and we didn't see the Michael Fairs, the Murray Billets and others yeah. that you mentioned. So what did you and others do at that time to get our stories spoken about in those coffee places in the Safeway, in the Mike Melkile? What, what was being done to make sure that our stories were beginning to be talked about in addition to coming out? Is there anything that you can point out? We talked to anybody and everybody. Um, we we were were quite relentless um, about. Uh, I mean, one of the first things we did is we went and we met with all of the politicians, and so that was uh, that was interesting, and and we kept at it. And but anytime there was anything that we could comment on, we would comment on it, either myself or Michael or Murray or somebody. And, uh, and so we just kept finding opportunities for bringing it forward, not only out, out there, but, but in, in our own community. Um, I remember we we're doing a letter writing campaign. And so we went to, I don't know if it was a women's dance or pride dance, but a bunch of us went and and we'd written up uh, a, a letter, but I think it was Maureen Irwin who said, what we should do is have various versions of the letter and print it on different colors because the politicians won't figure out that all of these letters that come in that have been signed that are originals, 
but they're on different colors of paper and the letters are all somewhat different or most of them are different. So um, they'll think it's from a whole bunch more people than it's actually from. And that worked because yeah. I can't remember if it was less young or who it said to me, you know, like when we started to interact with Gala, we thought that there were thousands of you. There's eight or 10 of us. And so we just had to be smart. Um, taking that form letter, but making sure that it was changed in enough ways yeah. that people didn't catch on. Yeah, they didn't catch on. Brilliant. And so, and the different colors, you know, so, yeah. so, um, and Maureen Irwin, you know, I don't know if the others have talked about Mo, but she was a godsend and it's so sad that she's, that she's passed. Um, and she was just everybody's grandmother. She was warm and wonderful and funny and, and she just kept working at stuff and she got, um, you know, she'd find ways to get various church congregations to, to have, you know, to, to have her come and, and speak. And she had what she called her United Church dress, mm. the only dress she owned. And um, so it's, it's about a filter that looks at everything that's going on around you directly and indirectly through a filter of how can we educate in this instance? Mm. How can we use this to our advantage to create more, more awareness and more knowledge? And it didn't really matter what the fill in the blank was. We'd talk to any politician. We, we'd talk, and then we'd talk to the press. And we were good to the press and they were good to us. And we gave, you know, um, good interviews with good information. And we didn't rant and rave and call people names, which I think is, is you know, a large, which is a mistake that gets made a lot now. People yes, are so busy being nasty that the message gets lost. Um, and so we sort of all had this notion that we were okay. And so why shouldn't we talk about this? Now, who was it? I think it was, I think it was John who we'd sent a letter to a politician about something and uh we hadn't heard so john i think it was john phoned up to to find out what was going on and the poor secretary who was taking the notes from the you know taking the message john says is from the gay and lesbian awareness society of edmonton and she's going the gay and la 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 la, la. <laughs> she couldn't say it you know it's a poor dear um but or was, we would say bless her yes bless, bless her. her yes and so as so it was just i think it's the cumulative effect of, of all of that then when you're just all of it you're going around living your life as you are and you're positive and you're hopeful and you're clear and demanding at the same time, then, um, then eventually change starts to happen. Yeah. Um, 
and, and, we need to make, and we need to make mention here for uh, some of our listeners that during this time frame that we're talking about, there's no access to podcasts or yeah. personal blogs and the social media that we know of today did not exist whatsoever. That these footsteps that had to be created with every single organization, political group, church around. Yeah. That was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and wasn't simply an email that could be passed along. Oh, that absolutely. was the knocking on the door. And so we just need to remind people of that aspect that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you wanted a list of all the United Churches in Edmonton, you had to go to the old, to the paper phone book, look them all up, write them all down, write out a list, type it, mm -hmm. and then put each whatever you were sending out in an envelope and put a stamp on it. And that would take several days to be delivered. And then you'd have to wait for a response. Yeah. And so it was, it was very different. And I remember Michael and I talking about that at the U of A, uh, some grad students a couple of, a few years ago, and they were just astonished, mm. you know, and we had to use, uh, you know, we had, uh, what's that? Carbon paper to make coffee. Yes. And, you know, and, and so things were, were very different. Yeah. And when um, you were using the typewriter and you made a mistake with the keystroke you made, yeah, yeah. That, that took a life of its own or when the ribbon was out yeah. or. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so, um, so I, I, I know that some of our bonding time was sitting around stuffing envelopes. Yeah. And, and uh, then we had to find ways to pay for postage. And we found some creative ways that I won't mention right now, but um, to get <laughs> the statue of limitations are not up yet. No, probably not. And <laughs> uh, and so it it we looked at at least we mostly looked at things as well. Okay, that didn't work. What are we going to do next? Mm. It 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 was. Um, you know, and, and we got, we went to the Human Rights Commission a, a bunch of times. And um, and Phil, what's his name, was the uh, the director of the Human Rights Commission for, for a while. And, uh, and he was black man. So that was pretty, pretty strange in, in yeah. Alberta. And he was a big supporter, but we just kept after them and after them. And and I remember, I can't remember quite the details, but they were meeting at Government House. Uh, Cabinet, I guess, was meeting at, at, at Government House, along with the Human Rights Commission, I think. And somehow we didn't get invited. So we held a protest outside. And how things change, because the woman who is either just the current or the past moderator of the United Church was at that protest, mm. protesting, and was chanting, we're here, we're queer, get used to us. And it was... Yeah. 
And I didn't know how involved she'd gotten in the church because she was very involved with Wicca at the time. And it was only, you know, in the last four or five years that I discovered that the woman that I knew as Snake, which was her Wicca name, is now was now the moderator of the United Church of Canada. It's like, oh, well, good for you. <laughs> exactly. Amazing people's journeys, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, so it's it's about I think it's about helping people see that something is more possible than they think. Yeah. yeah. And and knowing that there was real risk, real pain, real hurt, real fear. Um, and just believing that that somehow if we just kept at it long enough, uh, something something would give. Yeah. And so Gala did, you know, huge work with uh, newspapers and reporters and um, learned a lesson one time when we called a press conference. We were all hot and bothered about something. And we all gathered to do the press conference, but the press didn't come. We hadn't put the date on it. <laughs> oh well yeah lessons well, learned <laughs> so make sure the dates on your pre your press conference invites yeah um, you know you, well, so we, press agents there's no managers at the time yeah, you're figuring yeah. things out as you go yeah it's like oops oh well hey liz i i need to backtrack just a little yeah. bit because of what meant uh, uh something that you said and i know that there'll be questions that come from it yeah. you're talking about the person who was leading uh the human rights association at that time uh being a black man and uh that was strange that was different and so can you just give a little bit of insight why that was at this time in edmonton in in alberta oh good lord it was the time of ralph klein it was very conservative um and and you know there were one of the things about Alberta is that it's very interesting in that it's very, it can be very redneck, very uh, socially conservative. And then it, it has these little blips where somebody says, you know, God, I can't remember his last name. Um, I can see him uh, in my mind's eye. Uh, you know, he's got a good background and he'd be a good human rights commission guy. And you know we get we get probably get brownie points for having a, a person of color. Mm. It just wasn't happening. Wasn't done. Um, you know this is uh, even Ralph made Lois Hole the lieutenant governor. It's like, wow. That was shocking. It, yeah. Lo Lois Hole being one of my great uncle's closest friends. And oh, cool. And it was just remarkable. But I remember myself as being this uh, this younger gay child, just not understanding everything. But even in my head, I was like, this doesn't connect with what I've been taught. And yeah. still to this day, it still doesn't make sense to me how that came to be. Because yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Because... 
because for those of us, you know, listening who don't know about Lois Hole, um, Hole's greenhouse in in St. Albert was hugely successful. And it was started by Lois and Jim Hole, who were just two of the nicest people ever put on the face of the earth. And Lois, she was a big farm woman who'd give you a big hug and 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 so generous. And um, and so I don't know, maybe it was the farming. I, I've no idea how it led to her uh, being um, made lieutenant governor, but but it was a wonderful mistake uh, yes. on, on, you know, it's like, what kind of meds is Ralph on? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, well, or not which on. one of that day or not on exactly. Yeah. 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 And uh, again, going back to gala and we decided that we'd have our first little parade and we, we uh, met in, in this uh, by the market in Strathcona and uh we decided that probably we should have some flowers to make it look pretty so off we went to lois hole we had flowers for days we had flowers and we had flowers and we had flowers she wouldn't take a penny for them and uh, you know it was like holy smokes yeah. and she just said i believe in you guys and you know here's another three boxes of petunias help yourself and and she was just so open and so generous and i have some wonderful pictures of of uh of decorating that year and uh by golly we had flowers and so it was that openness of spirit that phil i want to say phil wilson but i don't think that's right phil johnson phil something um and so we had an ally in him because he knew what it was like to be shunned and mistreated and uh he didn't increase his popularity any by um by supporting us but mm -hmm. that's okay and so i think it has to be it has to be both the big view and the little view sort of simultaneously you have to have a filter that's always looking for an opportunity to bring up a subject directly or even indirectly um and be willing to be told no a whole bunch of times mm -hmm. and just to say, oh, well, never mind. Something else will happen. Yeah. And keep going with it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, one of my phrases now is keep on keeping on. And, and a few years ago when I was still working for the department of national defense as a psycho, as a, as a therapist, we had a case conference and you know we're all supposed everybody's supposed to be you know open and careful and or open and respectful and all of that good stuff and somebody at case conference presented this just didn't know what to do with him with, with this young guy who had come in as a client or been sent in as a client and you can just see it these two young soldiers had fallen, you know, head over heels in love. Mm -hmm. They were in the same group or the same unit. Anyhow, they knew each other. And one of them came from a very fundamentalist family and was having a being was having a real hard time. 
so they sent him into mental health for some help. Well, those psychologists tiptoed around and didn't know what to do and didn't know what to say and didn't know this and didn't know that because it was too young. You can't you just see these two young soldiers all, all hot and horny all the time, but it's for each other. Mm-hmm. And so this went on for a few minutes. Well, you know, and what about and blah, blah, blah. Finally, I said, oh, for God's sakes, stop it. It's two young men who have fallen head over heels in love in a very inconvenient way. And it's up to you to figure out how to help them. It's a, it's a broken heart story. There's nothing unusual about that. And I said, and if you can't figure out that in Edmonton, there's a pride center where this young man can go and meet others. And I was thinking of Fred Dick, who who did a lot of stuff there. Mm -hmm. Uh, and get some support and some help along the way, then that's what you bloody well need to do. And if you can't figure that out for yourselves, you can bloody well send them to me and I will. Yeah. My, it was quiet. Nobody talked to me for the rest of the day. <laughs> I love it. Uh, we're going to actually uh, take the uh, transition into military and police and with your background with what you've done here and because I really want to get into that as well um but I I need to go back a little bit just because I'll never have a chance again on a podcast to say this uh and it comes back to Lois Hole yeah Um, I remember Lois Hole and I was 12 perhaps at this time so we're looking late 80s and she had been visiting my great uncle Marvin Jocelyn yeah. Uh, out on his lily farm. Uh, oh, he had wow. an acreage just outside of Spruce Grove. And oh, was that your uncle? Yeah, my great uncle. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't see, know. Yeah, see, now with my uncle Marvin, he was always somewhat of a closeted man within yeah. the family and never really came out. And But everybody understood he was a confirmed yeah. bachelor. Yeah. Um, but I remember walking out on the field uh, with my Uncle Marvin and uh, Mrs. Hole and just listening to them as they were just talking about the beauty and the colors. And it was just a comfortable relationship. And I remember being comfortable and just feeling okay because I'm figuring these things out. I'm looking at the only real life gay person in my life and him talking to this beautiful woman and just knowing that he was okay. And yeah. so if I can just take a second, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, my great uncle Marvin, I just want to give tribute for him, a difficult life because he felt he had to be in the closet, Yeah, confirmed bachelor. I just want to give tribute to and just, and I'm going to cry. Yeah, yeah. Me, well, I've got tears in my eyes. Yeah. I yeah. just, wherever he is right now, I just want him to know that someone was listening. And someone yeah. understood and yeah. always loved. And I'll never yeah. have a chance to otherwise bring into this conversation otherwise. So thank you for bringing yeah. up Mrs. Hole. Well, and I'll you, add knew, and you know the Lily guy. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, there's another part to that story, uh, which is uh, four of us started something called the End Club in Edmonton called Edmontonians Networking Discreetly. 
And it was me and Michael and then my then partner, Catherine and Barry Bro. And we dug out our books and came with listed up all the names of people we could find. And we began having networking events. Um, and because of who we were, uh, we were, you know, uh, we had wine and cheese after work um, at the Holiday Inn on the Kingsway. And they were quite successful and went on for many years. And one of the things that we did was somebody rather knew about this guy who farmed lilies and that he was part of the community. And so some of us went out there to have a tour. Edmontonians networking discreetly. We went out there and that's where I met him. I never knew. Yeah, and the irony of it was that I'd been ordering lilies from some outfit in Toronto, and I looked down, and there was a box of the lilies being shipped to Toronto so they could I could pay premium price and get them back again. <laughs> yeah. But no, no. So you see how it all interwines, and that's why it's so important for people to be, to be out you know, and 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 for for the all of these bits and pieces to work together, so that you and I are having tears over your uncle. Yeah. You know Lois, and I knew Lois, and and you know it, it all just starts to connect. Yeah, it's just remarkable, just remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question, and then I can have my little proclent time as I'm listening here as well. Um, you know, and Liz, we're going to have multiple parts to this conversation because uh, going into uh, our conversation today, um, I knew that you have a wealth of information. Um, I just didn't understand the connection you have with people. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a storytelling in that, that there's that intimacy in listening to you, what you're saying and with the names and it's not, it's not you going, oh, we did this, 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 but you're also telling us about the people and emotions and feelings and that togetherness with it. And that's a storytelling that is just absolutely brilliant. So Liz, I'm, you know, we're not going to stop today because i want to continue this conversation for Super. as many times as we can uh so i just want to yeah you know put on record that i am honored today i'm just absolutely honored um was we'll talk about this at length in upcoming episodes as well but you have a very strong connection to the police service uh, the military in the background. And so I like our listeners to learn a little bit more about how that became, became not just because of your family and you listening to your father and your father's friends, but why it was so important to be a liaison, to have our voice be at the table with the police services, with military, especially during these years in the 80s, in the 90s? It comes back to the same thing. It just astonished me that the police would mistreat us. Yeah. And I thought, well, we got to go do something. We got to go talk to them. 
I mean, it was that from it, it, it was it was sort of that simple. It was there were stories of, of you know gay men, and there was the Pisces raid mm-hmm. and and stuff, and there were some stories coming around about gay men uh, getting hassled in the parks, and um, and so it just seemed to me as obvious as the nose on your face that if if there's if people aren't getting along properly, well, then you go talk about it. Yeah, yeah, it didn't seem sense. like a big deal to me. And so Michael wrote the letter to the police chief, and um, and uh, and so a date was set, and uh, George Davison and I, George is, has passed unfortunately, went off to meet. With the, with the police. And once again, I, th- I thanked my, you know, my upbringing that I, I wasn't at all intimidated. Um, I was more curious than anything. And, and we had this nice meeting and we met with staff Sergeant Joe Rogers and Sergeant Kathy, I can't remember her last name, but I've got it. And as Joe was trying to wrap up he was trying to wrap up the meeting and, you know, we're supposed to come up with goals and things. He says to me, well, this, like, if we do this work for a while, um, and, and how will you know, how, how will we know that it's, you know, that, that it's working, you know, a very appropriate goal kind of question. So I looked at George and I looked at, at, uh, at Joe and I said, well, Joe, I think this will take a while. But I figure that when we're able to put a notice up in the in the change room here at the station that we're looking for police to come to volunteer to help out at the Pride Parade, and would they please let us know who, who wants to do that, then we'll be good. I thought the poor man was going to fall off his chair and lose his health. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. And 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 Kathy looked at me. As a, oh. And he said, "Well, Liz, I I think that'll probably take a bit of time." And I said, "Yeah, but now we know where we're going." <laughs> oh, it's just brilliant. Uh, you know, and so so again, it's that it's that intimacy it's that connection it's that well this is a problem and we got to figure it out and and uh we'll just get going on it yeah and uh, oh dear the look on his face oh, and he, and of course at the time i didn't know that he was a good catholic and had five kids but whatever he didn't care yeah <laughs> so. hey it's, you fight through and people have got to learn somehow right and I think that I really do. I think that that when you talk with people who are involved in making change and are successful one way or the other, I think that's that's a trait in common. Mm-hmm. They don't come in and lecture you. You know, the the Nelson Mandela's of the world didn't come in and lecture you. They talked. Yeah. And they related on a human human basis and uh, and and that's where i think 
that we had our successes that you know um part of it was the times i guess because we were the leading edge but it was that willingness to um operate from an assumption that we're going to win that we are going to get our rights eventually because it's the right thing to do and if we just keep bugging people in a polite and funny and humorous and memorable way eventually something's going to happen yeah you know and um And I, you know, and so when you look at the hours that we spent with Gala having our potluck suppers as we as we worked, well, we figured out that you know we're mostly civil servants, and we'd meet after work, and if we had supper together, we wouldn't be so grumpy. <laughs> we we weren't going to get hangry with each other. Yeah, that's right, you know. Yeah. And so so we started having you know so we'd eat. And, um, and, and, and I remember times when the police were driving by to take down the license plate numbers of the people who were at the, at Michael's house. And of course, most of us had to park a fair ways away, but that didn't matter. And, you know, I remember often we would say, well, why don't we just go out and invite them in? It's a cold night, you know, like, wouldn't they like mm -hmm. some supper? Yeah. And, 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 you know, we never did, but it was that attitude of, well, you know, geez, you guys, we got lots of food. Come on in. Yeah. That, that, um, you know, it's part of Michael's success, always feeding people, but, but you know, that, that openness to, well, just come along and we'll talk about it and we'll sort it out. Mm -hmm. But it comes out in every little detail of what you do. And it's the attention to those little details, like remembering to put the date on the press release. Um, <laughs> or um, when we had the uh, Alice's Tea Party fundraiser for, eight, I think it was for the, for the network, and you know and and it was it was just it was it was ridiculous and it was so well done and everybody had fun and and again we tackle a, a tough thing by saying okay and i remember poor people i where were we in harlock park maybe or the river valley i can't remember but um you know these poor families out with out with their uh families for a picnic and there's various drag queens and, and various assorted people playing croquet um, on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon or Sunday afternoon and just having a good time. And I'm sure some of those families picked up their, their, you know, their, their sandwiches and went somewhere else, but they'd learned. Yeah. They'd learned. And, uh, and so when you look at all of that, as an opportunity for, I think it was my croquet set, actually. I think it was mine. Um, as an opportunity to educate. And, and one of the things I think that we learned the hard way, of course, is that there's no such thing as bad publicity because it gets people talking. Yeah. And that's what you want. And I'm sure most of us in our lives have, have seen that happen. 
because when when the people are ranting and raving about something, I mean, we see it right now with the anti-vaxxers. Mm-hmm. You know, they're actually in in a sort of a backwards way helping with the education. Yep, absolutely. You know, so um, an example of this as well as uh, with our Pride Corner on White that we do on yeah, Friday yeah. nights. Yeah, uh, we have one particular street preacher, wannabe cult leader, yeah. who films. And, you know, part of our group wants to push back against it. But I'm like, just Mm -hmm. let him play, let him play, because people are going to listen to that and kind of go, oh, this person's a little fucked up. And it does the work for us that we don't have to do anything that just let them press play and people will get the education. Absolutely. That's needed. And you're so right. Because and that that work you've done there is and are doing is so great, and I'm and I and you you're to be commended, because yeah. it it was done peacefully and just by being there, and having a good time, and oh. and, and Liz, I can tell you right now that we have you know we we we're, we're still out there you know it's yeah. even when it's in the winter and stuff like that. We didn't know what was going to happen with it, but we have a group of teens who yeah. are finding each other. Um, the best sound is the sound when they all appear at the same time in that high-pitched squeal when they haven't yeah. seen each other for a week. Yeah. And they come together. Yeah. We have community leaders. Yeah. We're finding each other early. Yeah. Fabulous. We're going to be okay because yeah. they're starting now and they're recognizing. And it's just brilliant that... They, they can be themselves at an early age and they can fall in love and not have a psychiatrist yeah. not find the words to yeah. how, how do you deal with the situation, but they're finding voices. Yeah. Um, looking at time-wise and the natural conclusion of a podcast time, uh, I'm going to wrap up part one. Okay, uh, Liz, this conversation's meant a lot to me, not just because of you acknowledging and knowing who my great uncle is Mm -hmm. but just you sharing your stories and you know we we just touched upon only a little just a little um but with gala with uh what's now known as hiv edmonton with police services this conversation's given that roadmap for the upcoming conversations. We're not even out of the eighties yet. Um, (laughs) And we've got so much more to talk about. Yeah. Liz, with somebody who's listening to part one of this conversation, Mm -hmm. what would you like them to really understand with what we've talked about here today? Be honest with yourself. Be honest with others. Be out it's scary and it's the safest place to be all the time and that doesn't mean it's always easy but if you do things with determination with respect with humor because i've told some funny stories over time things change and they get better and the people who want to belittle you to put you down to make you afraid they're afraid and the only way 
to help them with their fear is for us to be as out as possible and as wonderful as possible and and earn their respect because once you earn their respect because you're a decent person then they're then they're confused and they got to support you so that's how they learn uh, keep on I, keeping on yeah i started this podcast um because uh my now good friend claire perrin on episode three yeah uh, she was really the first interview but i started because i really wanted to understand why she was flourishing and really getting out there and out and about and she's the reason why the podcast started and i am reminded right now with everything our conversation today is you've reminded me why this podcast continues because there's so much learning to be had and um good lord i'm appreciative so appreciative good Okay, so we're going to go off camera here in a couple of moments and we're going to make plans for our weekly chats. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're just now going to become an institution on this show here as well. Okay. Um, I'm going to come back to you in a, in a, in a couple of moments here. Okay. Uh, just, there's a couple of things I do want to just make mention. Um, hey, Tales of the LGBTQ Plus is a weekly video and audio podcast that showcases remarkable people like Liz Messiah, people who are within our LGBTQ plus community. And it's by listening to our stories, we gain insight and understanding and connection. And we're connecting with each other, being introduced to amazing people, topics. And let's not forget about breaking bread with each other and especially listening. Um, this episode has been taped live. So there are going to be technical hiccups, voice snafus, other unexpected hijinks and you won't see it but there was a small break in there because we just have animals that just need our attention but that part will be edited out <laughs> and you won't have, you won't have seen it but uh it's very likely that something has happened and that's okay i do a little bit of editing but not much because i want the conversations to be true and not just sliced into place uh if you're listening on apple podcasts if you're listening on spotify please re leave your reviews, YouTube, press subscribe. That helps us with the algorithms and you get to hear stories like Liz, like Ron Byers, and as all the young upstarts within our community as well. And I say young with quotation marks because we're all young, especially at heart. So yes, it's fantastic. And as always, I'm based here in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and it's important for me to say this because as I live and work and breathe on this land, uh, I acknowledge that I'm on Treaty 6 territory, which is a traditional meeting grounds, gathering place, traveling route for the Cree, Salto, Blackfoot, Métis, Dene, and the Nakota Sioux. And I acknowledge all the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps uh, have trans all over this land uh, for centuries, especially the knowledge keepers and elders who are still with us today and those who have come before us. I myself am listening and opening up myself to understanding and it's through this journey that we learn truths. And that also goes with the truth with our 2S LGBTQIA community. And so Liz, thank you again um this has been just remarkable um for our listeners but myself as well 
Uh, there's a couple of moment, moments I have goosebumps, and that's not just because we're taping this in November, uh, and it's a little bit chilly at the moment, but no snow on the ground. Mm. Uh, it just thank you. Just thank you for everything, and uh, let's keep this conversation going. You're welcome. On behalf of Liz Messiah, my name is Douglas Parsons. You're listening to Tales of the LGBTQ+, reminding you to always be good, and please text when you get home. And Uncle Marvin, <laughs> thank you. Yes, the lilies were wonderful, Uncle Marvin. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm going to have to stop now. <laughs> Just thank you. Thank you, everyone. Okay.